morning and welcome. Uh, let's uh, open with a word of prayer before we study the word of God. Our Father, we are grateful to you once again for an opportunity to come together and to study your holy word. We pray as we open your word that you will speak to us and that we will be edified and encouraged through your word. We commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, once again, welcome and thank you to, uh, 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 welcome to a new series, actually. We start a series on the Thessalonians' uh, letters. And we start with the second letter. Now, I can tell you there is no theological reasons for that. So, please, don't think that we believe Paul had things mixed up. No, that's not the reason. It was more practical. You know, the second letter has uh, three chapters, which means we will study these uh, this coming three weeks and finish by the time there is a break for the students and they will be gone and then we will go back to uh, the first epistle and then study the rest. And they can be studied like, uh, you know, independent, even though the, the topics are connected, as we will see, but they both answer different questions. So uh, let me start with a story. Next. All right, let me start with a story about, uh, you know, parenting. There was a, a couple, you know, they had a uh, a daughter uh, and the the mother was a Christian but the father wasn't so that child the mother told her about uh, God creating everything so the mother knew that uh, we had creation so man came because God created them God created everything the father was not a believer so that child went to uh, school, and in school she heard that we came from the monkeys, you know, like from the animals, evolution. And the, the child was confused. What is it? So she went and talked to her dad about it. Dad said, yeah, sure, it's, uh, it's evolution. We came from the monkeys. She went back and talked to the mom, Say, mom, what is it? Were we created by God or... Was it evolution? Because dad said it is evolution. You said it is creation. Mom said, oh, no, it's, 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 it's okay. Our, my side of the family was created, and that side, they came from <laughs> evolution. Well, anyway, let's study the background to this uh, second letter. So Thessalonica, so what happened? How, why did Paul write the letters? Now in order to understand that, we will go back to Acts chapter 17 and then take a look at the background. The first thing is, we'll look at the evangelistic activities that took place in that city. In Acts chapter uh, seven, 17, we see that Paul went to Thessalonica. So he was first in Philippi uh, and then went from there to Thessalonica. And there he preached the gospel in a synagogue for three weeks or three Sabbaths, as they said in the text, Acts 
17 verse 2. So it was a short time. And when he preached, wow, a lot of things happened. So I'll just like give you the background and then we'll go and read some verses in chapter 17. So Jews and Greeks came to the Lord. And then guess what happened? As these people became believers, persecution broke out. When people decide to follow Christ, not everybody is passionate about that. And they started to really give them a hard time. Actually, they said they had to leave this place because they are bringing confusion in the city. So because of the persecution, Paul and the others had to leave the place. So they left and then went to uh, Berea, and then from there went to Athens, and then from there went to Corinth, where Paul stayed for about 18 months. And what happened, from there, he wrote the letter to the, th the, the Thessalonians. So the church started because of an evangelistic outreach. And people came to the Lord. And they started to gather together as a local church. But as we said, it was not easy. There were problems. There was persecution. Let's go to the next slide. So let's read some verses. Verse 3. So Paul proclaimed. What was the content of his message? This Jesus I'm proclaiming to you is the Christ. He preached Christ in a synagogue of the Jews. And then verse 4. Some of them were persuaded and joined Paul. Some of the Jews. They said, wow, this is true. And they joined Paul and Silas. But there was also a large group of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. They also became believers. And when that happened, verse 5, the Jews became jealous. And gathering together some worthless men from the rebel in the marketplace, they formed a mob and set the city in an uproar. They attacked Jason's house trying to find Paul and Silas to bring them out to the assembly. And I can tell you it was not for a debate. They wanted to bring them out. You know, they, they had other things in their mind. Verse 6 and 7 read, These people who have stirred up trouble throughout the world have come here too. They stirred trouble throughout the world. And Jason has welcomed them as guests. They are all against, uh, sorry, they are all acting against Caesar's decree, saying there is another king named Jesus. Now that was the trouble that they caused. What was that? They say there is another king, and that king was Jesus. And when that happened, Paul and, the, and Silas, they had to leave the place. And they went to, uh, to uh, uh, Corinth. And then from there, Paul wrote a letter. Now at first, let's go to the next slide. Now at first, what happened is Paul was anxious. You know, he wanted to know what is going on with these believers. You know, after the persecution uh, that he, he had to leave. And what happened to the believers that that remained there. So what he did, he sent Timothy to go and find out. Are they well? Are they doing okay? 
So Timothy went and then came back and told Paul all about what was going on. And, you know, they were excited because they continue in their faith, even though there was persecution. But they had some questions. I mean, if you were only there like for three weeks preaching the gospel to these people, just started their walk with the Lord, then for sure there will be questions. Now, one of the questions was, Paul, you spoke about the coming of the Lord Jesus. But what will happen when some believers die before the Lord comes back? What will happen to them? Does it mean that we will go with Him and, and be with the Lord and they will stay there? They have problems with that. So Paul wrote the first letter actually to address that problem. Next slide. So in 1st Timothy, sorry, 1st Thessalonians 3, verse 2 to 4, we see that Paul sent Timothy. He said, we sent Timothy, our brother and fellow worker for God in the gospel of Christ to strengthen you and encourage you about your faith so that no one would be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For in fact, when we were with you, we were telling you in advance that we would suffer affliction. And so it has happened, as you well know. He said, you know, I wanted to see what was going on. And Timothy was there to encourage them, say, wait a minute. If you are a Christian, know for sure that as Christian, we will face affliction. We will face persecution. We will face challenges. Being a Christian doesn't mean the end of all your trouble and problems. Actually, sometimes it seems like when I wasn't a Christian, I didn't have that many problems. And now that I'm serious about my walk with God, it's like all I know about is trouble and problems. And Paul said, remember, we were destined for this. It is part of and parcel part of the the blessings that we receive from christ is to suffer on his behalf the second question that he had for the first letter as we said first 13 first thessalonians 4 13 he said now we do not want you to be uninformed brothers and sisters about those who are asleep so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope those who were asleep the believers that went before us what happened to them what will happen when Christ comes back? And Paul said, don't worry. And he explained that in the first letter. So you want to know about more about that? Even if it is uh, your vacation, stay in town and you will hear that when we speak about First Thessalonians. So Paul wrote the first letter and things were great. So he solved the problem. Not so fast. Next. The second letter, actually, they, someone told them, say, guys, do you know that you Christians are facing persecutions and problems because God is mad at you and he is actually punishing you? Have you read in the Old Testament that God said there will come a day, the day of the Lord? where he will judge the earth and judge the people 
Well, right now, it's the proof you are right in the middle of that. So Paul had to respond again to explain to them, say, wait a minute, you are not yet living in the day of the Lord, that day of judgment. You are facing persecution as believer because, as he said in the first letter, it's part of what it is to be a Christian. But in this letter, he will explain in more detail, giving us God's perspective in suffering as believers face persecution in this day and age that we are living in. So in the second letter, next, Paul wrote to encourage them, uh, telling them in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 1-2, 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 1 to 2, he said, We ask you, brothers and sisters, not to be easily shaken from your composure or disturbed by any kind of spirit or message or letter allegedly from us to the effect that the day of the Lord is already here. You remember that? When these people came and said, Oh, you are in trouble. We are living in the day of the Lord. No, said Paul, we are not yet living in the day of the Lord. It's not here yet. But why are we facing persecution? Now, 2 Thessalonians has three chapters. Just three. In the first one, he is encouraging them in the suffering. In the second one, second chapter, he deals with the confusion over the day of the Lord. And in chapter 3, he speaks about our responsibility in the light of Christ's coming. So the first chapter is to encourage us next. Encouragement in suffering. And you have that outline. I divided it in four sections. We can divide it in more. But for today, we'll stick to these four. We have the greeting. He starts with thanksgiving. And then discuss judgment where he will encourage them. And then he pray for them. So let's go to chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. We have the salutation, Paul and Silphanus and Timothy. There were three of them writing to their brothers and sisters. It is always a good thing to have a team in ministry. And Paul shared that and gave that example of him serving together with others. Paul, Silphanus, and Timothy. One of the major problems in ministry, in particular in the missions field, that I have seen is for Christians not to be able to work together. Most of the problems taking place in the mission field is about working together with follow fellow workers. And it's something that we have to learn. We are, we are different. God has gifted us in different ways. But guess what? He brought us together in a body where he, because of that diversity, he want to use each and every one of us in a different way and yet together to be a blessing to his people. Paul and his two friends, they did that. Work together, serve together, and encourage the brothers and sisters together. So and then they sent the greeting to the church of the Thessalonians in God. So they were a church, but he said they were a church in God. The Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
these people had an amazing relationship not just with one another because that's why they were a church but it was a relationship with God and with the Lord Jesus Christ they were a group of believers who were passionate in the first place about God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ church is not just a social group of people coming together it is a group of people as this text says who are in God that's our identity that's that's what makes us who we are God's people Jesus people you remember that that was the message that Paul preached when they said that they turned the world upside down because they preached about this Jesus exactly he said and you guys are the Jesus people people recognize us as the Jesus people and as we continue the letter we'll see more that this is very very important to be recognized as those who believe in Jesus and Paul wish them grace and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ And then we go to the thanksgiving in verse 3 and 4. We ought to thank God always for you. Wow. This is a church where these brothers said, brothers, when we think about you guys, then we ought to give thanks to God. There is nothing else that we can do than giving thanks to God. And why was that? Why is it that he could give thanks to, to God? There was a reason for it. He's not just saying, oh, brother, I'm, give, I'm so thankful. Oh, I'm so thankful to you. He gave the reason why they were thankful. He said, because your faith flourishes more and more. He could see their walk with the, the Lord. It continued to grow more and more and more. Now, let me ask us this question. Are we growing in faith, each and every one of us personally? Where am I compared to last year or the year before? Am I growing or am I somewhere? Just the same. Or maybe even going back. Paul said these young believers that what he was thankful for is the fact that they are growing in their faith. And actually, if you go back to 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 10 and verse 12, you'll see that Paul prayed for them, that they will grow in faith and in love. And here, in this verse, we see that that exactly happened. There was spiritual growth, growth in faith, and there was growth in love as well. Paul is not speaking here just about us believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and becoming a Christian. That's important. We have to trust Christ. We have to surrender our life to Him. That's just the beginning. He is speaking here about us continuing to trust in Christ for our walk, for our life, day by day. It is us believing Him in the midst of difficulties, in the midst of challenges, in the midst of persecution, as he will say in verse 4. You see, when everything is going well, then, you know, it's not difficult to trust God, isn't it? I mean, if I have a big fat check every other week, you know, and, 
and and things are going well i have the american dream dreaming living the american dream and have everything that my heart desire why would i want to trust god well of course i trust god because he's blessing me but what happened when the big fat check is no longer there what happened when the car broke down or what happened when i keep failing my tests i share with you guys uh, that I'm taking a class and guess what happened? Like every other exam, 40, 50, I'm failing and I'm studying like crazy and yet I fail. How is that possible? Must be upset and angry, but you know, even in situations like that, we just continue to trust God because we know he is our father and our lord he said the love of each one of you all for one another is even is ever greater there is love for one another in that local church what does it mean to love one another you know that in a family where people love one another there's a lot of quarreling as well so we disagree with one another, we quarrel one another, and we live together, and we carry on together, and we are there to support one another. A loving family is not a family without a struggle, but it's a family where people are there for one another whenever they need each other. And Paul said in this local church, that's exactly what was happening. They knew what was going on in each other's life. I think one of the biggest challenges that the church is facing today is the problem of individualism. Just focusing on me and my needs and not thinking about the others. It is not just about us in the relationship with God. It is, uh, I mean, not just about me. It is about us. You remember when the Lord Jesus taught us how to pray? What did he teach? What did he say? My father who is in heaven? No, he said, our father, give us this day our daily bread. You know, it's about us. It is about this community of believers. And I mean the Christian community of believers being there for one another. And Paul continuing in verse 4, he said that we... You know, what we see in your lives, we boast about you in other churches. We tell other believers about what we are seeing. Of your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and afflictions you are enduring. So what? In the midst of persecution and affliction, their faith was strong. They said, we trust in Jesus. We trust in God. And we are following him no matter what the price. There is a, a story uh, shared often that in mission field sometimes you have what they call rice Christians. And they mean by that people who are willing to follow God when missionaries give them something. You know, and when the missionary gives them something, oh, they are excited about the God that the missionary are serving and they will attend meeting. But when there is nothing, then, you know, then suddenly faith goes down, faith goes down. It's not rice Christians here. We have people who are willing to continue no matter what. 
So now Paul is going to explain to them the suffering that they are facing. Why is that going on? And what is the right perspective? And he said, in verse 5 to 10, I highlighted a few things. It's number one in verse 5, that there is God's righteous judgment. That's one. Verse 6, God is going to repay those that are punishing you. God is going, verse 8, to punish those. Verse 9, God, they are going to undergo the penalty. So God said, don't worry. I know what's going on. But guess what's going to happen? Those that are persecuting you right now, there is a time coming where they will have to deal not with other somebody else, but with me. I am going to deal with them. Next. So I try to put the two together. What are the believers facing now? What will they be facing in the future? And on the other hand, the unbelievers, those that are afflicting them, what are they uh, facing now? And what will they face in the future? Now in verse 5, we see that the believers, uh, that they are suffering right now for the kingdom's sake. So right now for us, we face suffering because we belong to Christ. In verse 6, we see what happened to the unbelievers. What happened to them? Right now, they are afflicting us. But guess what will happen in the future? God is going to repay them. Payback time is coming. And God is keeping track of them. And guess what? When God is going to give payback time, we'll see what will happen. Verse 7. The believers in the future will enjoy rest together with Christ. You see that? So right now we are facing suffering, affliction for the sake of the kingdom. And guess what's going to happen in the future? It's going to be over. It's going to be rest. It's going to be joy with the Lord. But those that are afflicting us right now, the unbelievers, guess what's going to happen to them? Verse 8. With flaming fire, he will mete out punishment on those who do not know God and who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, in the future, that's what's going to happen to them. Punishment. What about us again? Verse 10, as Christians. When he comes, when the Lord Jesus comes to be glorified among or better in his saints, and admire on that day among all who have believed. In the future, what will happen is Christ will come and he will be glorified in us. Whereas verse 9, for those, the unbelievers, they will undergo the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his strength. Let's look at this briefly. Next. So for us, it is suffering now and glory later. Paul spoke about it actually in Acts chapter 14. Verse 22, he said, this is the last part of the verse, we must enter the kingdom of God through many persecutions. As believers, we will be facing persecution. But that doesn't mean we are not serving God. 
that doesn't mean God is punishing us or that we live in the day of the Lord. Not yet. It's future. What we are facing now is part of what it means to be a Christian. Guess what? Life is not easy. But that is part of Christian life. Romans 8 verse 17. If we indeed suffer with him, so we may also be glorified with him. Suffering now, glory to come. 2 Timothy 12, sorry, 2 Timothy 2 verse 12. If we endure, we will also reign with him. So it is suffering now and glory later. And we'll see that in the future. Next. So the future for us, going back to 2 Thessalonians 1, the future for us, and who is us in that verse? He said, all who believe, 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 10. And all who believe does not mean all believers. It means all those who, who, who trusted him in the midst of the persecution. Does it make sense? Those who keep on keeping on in the midst of challenges. It's not just someone who said, I accept Jesus as my Lord. I believe in him. I am a believer. And that's the end of the story. No, he is talking to those who accepted Christ and who continue to live for him in this world as Christians. In the midst of persecution, they continue to believe in him, to trust him, and to keep on keeping and he said, all who believe, there will be rest for them. There will be rest together with us, Paul said. You and I, you and I, you guys and us, we will be enjoying rest when the Lord is coming. No more persecution. You know, when we speak about persecution, maybe to us it does not make so much sense because we don't face that. But do you know what it means for our brothers and sisters in some parts of the world where believing in Christ means they will chop off your head? Or accepting Christ means that your family will no longer uh, welcome you. It means separation from your family. It means certain things and privileges in the family are no longer yours. You are on your own. I remember when I came to the Lord at that time, I, I was the first in my family to come to the Lord. And I remember talking to my dad about it, and he was, he said, well, you know, you can trust God, but don't forsake the things of your ancestors. And I said, Dad, I can't continue serving the Lord and then serving with uh, the, the idols that we were worshiping. And he was very, very upset. He was very upset. My mom, you know, people tried to persuade me to just do what we used to do all the time. And when you said no, you know, the relationship changed completely. You are on your own. Suffering persecution for the Lord. And when He comes, we will enjoy rest with Him. That's not all. In verse 10, we read, Christ will be glorified in the saints and admired on that day in all who believe. Do you know what, you know what this means? It's not just that we continue faithfully in Him. But when he comes back, we will be with him. And those people who persecute us will look at us and say, oh, that's why they did that. It was for Christ. 
They did that because they were followers of Christ. Suddenly, they will start praising Christ, he said, in us. Because of us come being faithful, serving Christ. It will be a reason for people to praise him and admire him. Say, this man indeed must have been the son of God. That in the midst of challenges, all that we did to these people, they continue to follow this man. They continue to follow Christ. Actually, Paul said that in Galatians 1, when he said that the people heard about his persecution, and now they are glorifying Christ in him. They are glorifying Christ because of what Christ accomplished in the life of this man. From a persecutor to a preacher of the gospel. And this text is telling us that's exactly what will happen to us as well. That people will glorify Christ in us. That's our side of the story. What's going to happen to the other side? Those that do not belong to Christ. Next. Now the text speaks in verse 8 about those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel. Now these are two different groups of people. The first one, do, who do not know God, are people who really do not know Him. They don't know God. The second group, they know about God. They've heard about Him. But they do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They do not want to accept that gospel. They do not want to accept the message of Jesus that I can only be saved through Jesus. And you know, both groups, this text said that God will repay them with affliction. In verse 6. God will repay them. In, their, in this life, they are treating believers, persecuting them, giving them a hard time. And God said, the time is coming when I'm going to repay you. You know, it seems like God is not doing anything. As if God is asleep. He doesn't know what's going on. And people say, you know, if there is a God, why is he not doing this? If there is a God, why is he not doing that? Guess what? He is going to do it. But not on your watch, not on your calendar. He has his own calendar. And he is going to take care of business. He is going to judge. Verse 8. In, in the New Living Translation, it said that in flaming fire bringing judgment. When the Lord Jesus is coming back, and we are going to talk more about that in the second chapter of this uh, letter, about the, when he is coming back, it will not be baby Jesus coming to us. But it will be in flaming fire to bring judgment to the people. He is going to judge. He is going to punish and then verse 9 says, They will undergo the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord. There will be an eternal destruction. In other words, there will be hell. You know, people, sometimes there is an ad in, on CNN. I saw it a few times already where this guy said he doesn't believe in hell. And you know, if there is a hell, he's ready to go there. Does he know what he's talking about? And guess what? It's coming. But then at that time, it will be too late. God is warning people, even today, that there will be 
an eternal destruction. People say, if God is a loving God, how can he send people to hell? You know what the text said? He said, these people do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They choose not to obey him. They choose not to know him. They choose not to want to have anything to do with him. So why should he bring you to his heaven? Why should he say, you don't want to have anything to do with me, but please come, come, come to my heaven. You have decided not to want to have anything to do with him, so you will be away from the presence of the Lord. The, the hardest thing in hell, as scholars explain that, is the fact that people will be away from the presence of God. Nothing, nothing, nothing will be felt of his presence. And that will be terrible. That will be hard. It will be an evil thing. We are still living in the day of grace when we can still come to Christ and surrender our life to him. Next. Well, I'll say something briefly about this. When are these things going to happen? What is the future that we are talking about? It's when Christ is coming back. And as we said in chapter 2, we'll talk some more about that. My purpose this morning was to encourage us. To say, yes, we are facing challenges in our walk with the Lord today. It's not abnormal. It's not like because I don't, God doesn't love me. It's normal in our life. But guess what? There is a future. We have a future with our God. Of hope joy, rest, and enjoying his presence forever. But there's also another side of the story, and that is when Christ comes, when the Lord Jesus is revealed through seven from heaven with his mighty angels, with flaming fire, a moment that we can look forward to. Jesus is coming soon, and we can look up we can look forward to that day. We can look forward to that time. And I will resist the temptation not to go into details about this because the others are uh, next week and the week after. We're still in this book. So we'll have some more about that. Finally, in this chapter, next, Paul prays for the Thessalonians. Started with thanksgiving, but then he ends with praise. Therefore, he prays for them. And I want to close uh, by praying this prayer for us. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your word this morning. And we thank you for what is ahead. We thank you that we can look up towards the future, towards the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that it will be a time of rejoicing. We'll see him as he is in his glory when he comes with his mighty angels and when he comes in flaming fire. We see his glory manifesting. Lord, we pray as Paul prayed for the Thessalonians that you will make us worthy of your calling and that we will fulfill every desire for goodness and every work of faith in us 
and that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in us and that we may be glorified in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that our lives here in the days ahead will reflect something about this Jesus that we are following and that people will even recognize him in us. We just want to thank you this day and we bless your name. Amen. Well, thank you very much. Uh, you're